Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. So listen now to the words of Jesus as he indicts our church this morning. Verses 14, that was funny, God help me. Verses 14 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5. This is what Jesus says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lamp stand. And he gives light to all who are in the house. Can you read verse 16 with me, church? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about Jesus' definition of a Christian church. You may be seated. I want to talk about our Christ definition, Jesus' definition of a Christian church. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious God, our Father, we do thank you and honor you and bless you for the privilege we have to be the sheep of your pasture. Now I pray that you'll grant me clarity of mind, concision of speech, and conviction of heart, that I may tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A lot of people at this time of the year are getting sad. I remember the first time I heard about sadness. A dear female colleague and I sat next to each other on a plane. She had recently relocated from Chicago to Atlanta and remarked, among other improvements in her life, about how at wintertime she no longer struggled with sadness. Some of you may know what I'm talking about because some of you have already mentioned it to me. You struggle with sadness. Sad. What is sad, Pastor Charlie? It's seasonal affect disorder. It's a mood disorder characterized by depression in climates like ours where there is less sunlight at certain times of the year. People get fatigued faster. They get a feeling of social withdrawal hopelessness, and part depression. In fact, this thing has grown so big that it's kind of a discipline of study all by itself. And it arrested my attention this week as I studied and pondered the words of Jesus afresh. You see, on a higher, heavier, holier level, in a world where people wrestle with seasonal affect disorder, they also wrestle with something I call spiritual affective disorder. The blistery cold of crime and malvolence has gotten a hold of them. The unbreaking clouds of injustice and indulgence has wearied them. The unbending stronghold of pleasure and the taskmaster of euphoria makes sin kind of inescapable and they are in a climate of godlessness. People get sad spiritually anemic, fatigued in spirit, and so they withdraw. But what grabbed my attention this week is that the most popular treat treatment for seasonal affective disorder is called phototherapy. Now, that might sound like you look at a bunch of pictures, but that's not what phototherapy means. Come on, y'all. Y'all act like y'all don't live in Chicago, and you don't wonder where the sunlight is for three months out of the year. The, the, the most popular effective treatment for seasonal affect disorder is light. It is the reintroduction of light to people. L literally, uh, psychologists have found out that light is medicine to people struggling with seasonal affective disorder. I know that's the case because people like my brother from all over Chicago are in Atlanta this week. Not just to watch the Bears lose another game but really to escape the cloudy gloom and doom of Chicago during this changing season. And I can testify, I feel it like some of you. 
I've been on planes where you're leaving a pleasant climate from down south during this time of year, and you get to Chicago. And the closer that plane gets to Chicago, the grayer it gets outside of your window. And it's bright up top, but you're looking down, and it's all dark and gloomy. And they got to turn the heat up on the plane because you're coming into Chicago. And oh, how we want more heat, more light during this season. Help me, God. I'm preaching. You just don't feel me yet. Several years ago, in early December, it's been our family's practice. We're going to pick it up again. We try to get away with some friends to a rented villa somewhere south of the United States. We were there. This particular evening, we sat outside of a restaurant eating with friends on a December night. I won't soon forget it. Charlie, at the time, younger than he is now, was in shorts. He was sitting next to me. His legs were crossed up in his seat. He was picking up French fries. He must have been about five or six. And he gave me one of those inquisitive, pondering looks. And then he looked at me, and then he looked away. And he looked at me, and he looked away. While looking away, he started talking to me. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Is it December here? <laughs> Sitting outside with some shorts on, eating, having played in the pink sand all day, he wanted to know, is it December here? I said, oh, yes, son. It's December everywhere. He kept on going. Then he did it again. He picked up a French fry. He looked at me, and he looked away. This time he looked up at the clouds, and he said, uh, Dad, is it winter here? And I said, yes, yeah, son, it's winter here. He said, well, why isn't it cold? Where is the snow? See, having spent part of his early formative years in Chicago wearing coats and scarves and hats, being chided by his mom and dad before he got, go, oh, oh, put that coat on, boy. Having let go of June and July where he was able to have his shorts on and eat outside the summer shades. He, he wanted to know why was it not dreary and cold there. And I answered him what I answer some of you today. I said, Charlie, it's December everywhere, but it feels different based upon your location. I said to him, your proximity to the sun changes the climate of your life. It's winter here like it is in Chicago, but here we're closer to the sun than we are in Chicago. And the closer you get to the sun, the better, help me Lord, you start to feel. Well friends, when I pull up to the words of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. It's the same word in the Koine Greek New Testament that we get our word phototherapy from. Jesus says that we are the phototherapy of the world. Y'all ain't in here. I'm going to preach till I'm done. I, I can't even wrestle with you here today. Jesus says that the world around you is blistery and cold. It is filled with injustice and indulgence. Can't you see people fidgeting in the darkness? But not to worry because I've provided light. Here it is. You are the light of the world. I wish I could say it the way I feel it. He says... You all, this is a plural noun. A be better way to say it is, you all and only you all. Jesus, in defining who the church is, gives the word of ordination to the disciples, and yes, to you and I too. He does not say that the Fortune 500 companies are the light of the world. He does not say that our professional football, baseball, and basketball teams are the light of the world. He does not say that our governments are the light of the world. Jesus reserves this language for one particular group of people that I'm looking at today. Y'all. I said y'all are the light of the world. And if your light does not shine, then people around you will live in darkness. 
This is Matthew chapter 5. Some of you know what Matthew chapter 5 is. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is turning a corner at verse 13 in the Sermon on the Mount. In the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, he's preached these beatitudes, these pleasant paradoxes of the Christian faith. He has helped us to see some strange, uh, maybe insightful, profoundly insightful rather, instruction of the kingdom of God. He's reorienting the minds of his disciples, saying, yeah, I know that you live in Jerusalem or on planet Earth, but you really live in my kingdom. And in my kingdom, things work differently than they do on planet Earth. You see, in your economy, you view yourself as blessed only when things are going really well. He says, but in my economy, you are blessed in strange situations. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. It's actually that language of rejoicing that captures the definition, the tenor and the tone of the word blessed. See, this word blessed pictured that old island of Crete that needed no imports. They were so wealthy that they had everything they needed on their own island. So they did not have to go anywhere else to get what they needed. It made them kind of insulated. Je Jesus is saying, can you picture a place where folk are sufficient and they do not base their supply on external means, but they have everything they need on the inside? He says, your life and my life are such in the kingdom of God. We don't need Hennessy, Tito's. I'm missing the names of the other ones. Uh, Y'all help me out. Casamigos, thank you. We, we don't need those external things when we're sad to bring about joy and gladness. We have an internal supply when we come into the kingdom. That, that means that even when the world around us is bankrupt, in sickness and in sin that we have such a relationship with Jesus the Christ that we got our own internal wellspring of hope, joy, and delight. I know why some of you are looking at me the way you are. It's because what I'm saying may not apply to you. But is there anybody here today that's had the bottom to fall out but you didn't fall out when the bottom fell out because you discovered that there was a rock at the bottom of rock bottom. No, I'm talking to some real people here. Y'all can patty cake if you want to. I mean people who really done been through some stuff. Somebody who done been sick and been divorced and been hurt and been cheated on and been left for dead. Anybody here ever been through something like that? But look at you this morning. You got up, brushed your teeth, had your wits about you, got in the car, came to church because this joy that you got your spouse didn't give it to you, and your spouse can't take it away. I wish I had somebody in here who said, I know what it's like to be blessed. Woo. Said, blessed now. This thing works differently in my kingdom. And on the heels of this ninth beatitude, Jesus turns the corner to give us a word about our identity. Now, we know as Christians, we are a number of things. We're blessed. We just said that. We are... Um, more than conquerors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of our identity. Uh, we, we Christians are, as Paul calls us, the righteousness of God. But, but can I tell you what we Christians are also? We are witnesses. Now, there are some aspects of the text I'm preaching to you today that speak to an invisible, quiet potency of your witness. That's the salt part. Did you know that you don't really see salt on your food. If you see salt on your food, <laughs> look, y'all, we hypertension, diabetes, blood pressure. Can't we just celebrate salt, though, real fast? So if I, if it, just because I'm from Chicago, the salt on the fries at Portillo's makes the fries. When I was growing up, it was the salt on the fries at McDonald's. It, you could grip the fry by the salt. Woo! 
go, man, I know this, this is going to be good. Okay, okay. But, but salt is powerful even in its invisibility. Because what salt has to do in order to be effective is to die. It has to disappear. It bleeds its effect into the meat. You don't see it, but you can taste it. This is the idea that you and I have a witness to bear to the world. Now, light is visible. We're going to get to that in just a moment. It is revelatory. So I say that to say this. Everybody in here who said, I don't want to hand out no cards. Why are you trying to make us do this? I don't, I don't feel comfortable, Pastor Charlie, in telling people that I'm a Christian. They're going to ask me questions that I can't answer. I, I don't want people to know that I go to church. Can I tell y'all something? What Jesus is arguing for in this sermon is that there is no such thing as a private Christian. In order to be a Christian, you got to be a public witness. And what I'm saying to you all in this campaign we're doing to close the year out is who's going to be a witness for my Lord? Or are you going to actually do and become who you are? Or are you just going to pretend by showing up at church on Sunday? Can I submit to you that if all we do as a church is gather on Sunday, if, if all we do, somebody help, thank you so much. If all we do, now look this way. I need y'all now to look this way. Yep, I know how this works. I know we're going to get our help. If all we do is gather on Sunday morning and come and sing and shout, and go, woo, we had a good time in church today. That was something right there. If that's all we do, then we are actually failing to be who we really are. Now, I want to submit to you in this text today that our power in the world is seen in our godly difference from the world. That's essentially what I want to argue today. That, that our power, our effectiveness as a church in the world is seen in our godly difference from the world. Stay with me now. Stay with me, everybody. Amen. Jesus then gives you and I a definition. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Are you, are you with me? He does not say you will be the light of the world. He does not say one day you could be the light of the world. What does he say? You are. You already are, church. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he made you something. And he made you somebody. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. All right, let me pause to pray because I'm losing momentum with everybody watching. So why don't you just look this way and let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness and your great grace. We pray now your help for our sister. And we pray that you would help us to focus on what your word is saying to us as a church and to move us. I know how easy it is for human attention to move somewhere else. And then just so ever slightly, the enemy could make us miss the very thing you brought us here to get. So I pray now that you will draw our attention into your word as you heal and deliver and bless our sister. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, in your saltiness, because this is who you are, and in your being a light, the essence of what Jesus is saying to us is that there is a not only definition, but a difference. You see the words of Jesus, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Whereas salt is hidden and unseen and unheard in its influence, light emits an open, manifest revelatory influence. Jesus, by putting salt and light together, is giving you both sides of the coin of your Christian living. On one hand, 
you are to be so powerful while you are not heard and not seen. You are to be a change agent, reversing the rot of the world, eliminating the decay of the world in your private, strong Christian witness that the world sees you as salt. That's on one hand. But if your inward attitude and character of salt never translates into your outward strong place of light, then you are only part of Christian. Some of us want to change the world just by our inward attitude and character. But what Jesus is saying to us is that that inward attitude and character has to manifest and translate into an outward display of light. And the way that light works is that it differentiates itself from the darkness. You can tell that light is light only because it's dark. Now, Jump with me here in your mind to a world that predates all of the strong electricity we got going on, all right? Nowadays, you flip a switch. I was watching uh, the Griswold family Christmas National Lampoons trying to educate my kids on classics from the late 80s, and, and he put 25,000 lights on this house, and, and they did not come on until somebody flipped the switch, and, and then it lit up the whole neighborhood. I, I had no idea this would preach. They did an aerial shot, and even though the rest of the city went dark, you could see because this one house was lit up. It, in the world of Jesus, he, he's saying, this is not darkness like in Chicago at night where the amber glow of the city takes over. No, this is a darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been there before where you cannot even see your hand, and that's some scary stuff. I mean, especially for those of us who grew up in the city. Now, you people who grew up in the country, you got it already, all right? We celebrate y'all. We appreciate y'all. But a lot of us can't handle that. Uh, you get far enough away from any light at night, you'll learn, you can feel the darkness. And, and, and when you can feel the darkness, it brings about a kind of eerie sensation. And I want to ask y'all, can't you feel the darkness? right now? I mean, politically, can't you feel? We can't even see our hand in front of our faces. A academically, intellectually, our Chicago public schools, all kinds of things are going on. And I said, come on, teachers, can't y'all feel the darkness in these schools? Um, you, you look at the wickedness in our city that people would kill and cut up their landlord and put them in a different space. Can't you feel the darkness? Kids stealing cars at 12, 13, flying by on the expressway, carrying guns in gym bags to the gym. Can't you, am I the only person? Can't you feel the darkness? And, and the only way that people will be able to get out of the darkness is that light has to come on. Jesus says that our church, both individually and collectively, we are the light of the world. And we are a city on a hill. In other words, you don't light a lamp and then conceal the light. You don't light a city and then cover it up. I'm coming for us. I hope y'all ready. This is the picture of an irrelevant church and a useless Christian. Because the whole purpose of having light is that it helps you to see. But why would a church have light and cover it up? Why would a church stop shining its light? Th these are the actions that the church are, are to take. But can I tell y'all something? There are churches, even in our neighborhood, that stopped being a light so long ago that they are now irrelevant and useless. I'm going to do my best not to call no names. Our church, our church, sharing the gospel some time ago, cleaning a block 
or three rather, before the pandemic on a regular basis, one of the neighbors on that block started to point out another church in the neighborhood that was essentially, in their words, an eyesore to the community. They had once been so popular and strong. They had been the birthplace of some uh, iconic pieces in African-American culture. But over time, they got so in love with their history they became so infatuated with what God had done that they could not appreciate what God wanted to do and had no anticipation of what God was going to do. So they stopped shining the light. And this is what I took from this, and I hand it to you. Whenever a church stops shining the light, even the people who live in the neighborhood start to turn against the place that has the light. Whereas the church is meant to benefit the world around it, the world won't even want the light if there is no light coming from it. And what I want to say to y'all is as great as the history is of our church, and it is great, and it should be celebrated, there are some people who are so in love with what has been that they cannot appreciate what is right now and what is to come. I'm here to preach to some of y'all. And the folk who are so in love with what has been and cannot appreciate what is right now are the people who don't want to do nothing in the right now. Can I tell y'all, I don't come to church every Sunday to uh, nourish and to nurture you like babies as if you can never grow up on the sincere milk of the word and get out and do something. I don't want to be part of a church where all we do is come laugh and shout and joke. No, I want to be part of a church that changes its neighborhood. I, I want to be part of a church that illuminates its city. I want folk who live in darkness to drive by and say there's a light coming from that place. Is there anybody in this church with me that wants some light to shine so that the world around us would know that there is a God who rules and super rules our world? Can I tell you now how this works? If your little light gets with my little light and our little lights get with his little light, and our little lights gets with her little light. Before you know it, this dark city where people are struggling with sadness will start to get the therapy and the healing of the light that they so desperately need. We ought to stop complaining about how difficult and wicked our city is if we ain't going to do nothing about it. We ought to stop whining when we watch the news at night if we're not willing to help some young kids to learn how to read and write, to grow up with a sense of dignity, we, we ought to stop whining and frustration and complaining if God has given us a light and we won't shine it. You ain't got to say amen. You ain't got to say amen. I'll be back next week. And, and, and we'll have an opportunity for you to say amen. I want you to hear me now. Me asking you to do a good deed is part of shining that light. Isn't it amazing, Dr. Perry, and, I, and I'm done when I get here. Isn't it amazing that Jesus does not say, you know, if you just get more well-written systematic theology books, others will see that there's a God in heaven. He does not say if you just build more seminaries and raise up people who work for the church, that others will see that and will give glory to God in heaven. Do you know if all we needed was more books and more learning, America would have been saved by now? If, if all we needed was crisper, cleaner theology, to stand up and to get everybody to say the right propositional truths every time. If that's all we needed, we'd be delivered by now. But Jesus does not say, let everybody go to school and they will glorify your Father in heaven. He doesn't even say, let everybody sing in the choir 
and they will glorify your Father in heaven. You know what Jesus says? Let your light shine. Help me, Lord God. I, I, I said, Jesus says, let your light shine. In other words, church, this isn't just about our difference from the world, but it is our duty to the world. Notice now where Jesus tells us to let our light shine, and then I'm done. He says, we are the salt of the church. Did you read that? He says, we are the light of the church. Did, did y'all read that? Y'all, I just love how y'all take whatever I say. You ain't even, you ain't even look. That Jesus says, you are the salt of the church. You are the light in the church. No, 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 no. He, that's not what he says, does it? Where, what does he say? What does he say? He says, you are the salt of the earth. Y'all, we ain't doing the world a whole lot of good just by doing what we do in here. We, we ain't actually revealing nothing to the world just by gathering here on Sunday. Now, now should we gather? Absolutely. You know better. Don't leave and be like, Pastor, I was telling me, I ain't got to come to church no more. He said we ain't doing no good. But that's not at all what I just said. What I'm saying to you is, is that Jesus has a particular place where he wants you to be who you are. Jesus puts you in the earth, and he makes you the light of the world. Now, this word world, this word world is this community of sinful humanity. It's not just the trees and the air and the birds. No, no, no. No, friends, this is, this is all of the darkness around us has to come in contact with us. And so there's a decision that needs to be made. He says, let your light shine so that others may see your good works. I'm done. I'm done. And when they see your good works, they're going to glorify your father who is in heaven. If you never do a good work, they will not glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we're closing the year, and we are going to adopt one of our local elementary schools because we could just do all the goodness and kindness among us. But Jesus says we're the salt in the earth and the light of the world. We have been in touch with the school, and we've, we've told them it's a school that, where the kids struggle and languish in poverty. Now, we can't fix all of that right now. But what we can do is at our Lord's birthday, say that there is a God who gave up everything he had to bless you. And so this church, by following his example, is going to give up something to bless you. And this is my ask of you. Rather than buying your kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews, 400 toys, and they only going to play with two. Why not take your kids and grandkids to go shopping for another kid who in our neighborhood has no light? And I can guarantee you what will happen. Not only will those kids grow up with more gratitude and less of a sense of entitlement, but they will start to see that the world is bigger than them and that God cares for other people. And when we do that, even your kids and grandkids, by you involving them in this activity, will go, now, why would you do that, Mommy? Why would you do that, Granddad? It's because there's a God who has done so much for us. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen again. Some little kid at this school who has never heard the name Jesus is going to receive something from the people of Jesus. And they're going to ask, why would you do something so good for me and you don't know me? And I might not be there to answer the question, but somebody's going to look that little kid in the face and they're going to say, can I tell you a story? One day when the whole world was messed up, God looked down on planet earth and he saw people who did not know him and did not deserve his goodness. 
And so he sent his only son to die on the cross for us so that whoever believes in him can have fullness of joy and be glad again. Oh, oh, little kid, do you want to be happy again? Do you want to be joyful again? And the little kid will say, yeah, I want to be happy. My, my mama's in trouble. My brother has been hurt. I want to have some joy. And, and when they place their faith in Jesus the Christ, their life will forever change. They will glorify God who is in heaven. And the beauty of what I just told you, because I know it's going to happen, is that we don't know what that kid's going to become. I'm done. Y'all ain't in here with me today. I said we don't know what that kid is going to become. Because the church has won some people to the Lord, and they changed the world. I said, did y'all hear me? The church has won some people to the Lord, and they changed it. The church gave Frederick Douglass to the world. The church gave Sojourner Truth to the world. The church got a hold of Martin King as a boy and gave him to the world. You never know what we do by the good deeds that are done. And so I'm asking you, as I take my seat, and Pastor Jamal comes to lead us in prayers, as I'm asking you, Will you just do some good works so that people can see that there is a God in heaven? Can I tell you? If they never agree to give you their name and their email address, that's okay. The goal is for them to give God their name. To trust him and do not doubt. And when we do that, we'll be a church, stand on your feet, that lights up our city. That's how Jesus defines who a Christian is. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your great grace. I ask you now, I beg of you now, to draw by your loving kindness and your tender mercies those today who should be part of the church. I pray, dear Lord, that you will help folk today who are trusting in themselves to start trusting in you. And then, Lord, I pray that as we extend this invitation today, that your church would actually take seriously who you made us and that we would become who we are. Make us, oh God, to be light in this city. Make us. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.